Amen. Thank you. Oh, God bless you guys. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, everybody, for that sounded wonderful. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. I was excited. Um, I, I've had a morning. I've been up since three, driving my kids to the airport. In the middle of COVID, they're flying to Guatemala. I don't, I don't, I have, I have, uh, kids living at my house from Guatemala who have fled there and my other kids go to travel there for fun. I don't, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? It's kind of weird, but, um, but yeah. So, um, they're living, they're going to be living for their few days in a hobbit village in Guatemala. It's kind of cool. So, um, and so then we got here. We I don't know if you guys all knew, but we had some internet issues. We were scrambling back there to get that solved and everything else. So it's it's been a little bit of a morning. So you can be praying for me in your heart right now that I just calm down and and everything. I hope you guys had a good Christmas. I had a wonderful Christmas. Two big dinners, one at my mom's and then one at our house. It was just a lot of fun and and uh, good food. I cooked salmon, rocked it. It was awesome. So um, anyway, but yeah. And if you ever want good salmon, I will have you over and I'll cook it for you. But anyway, um, but today we begin a new series in Colossians. We'll be here for a number of weeks. I think it's seven weeks. I can't really remember how long it's going to be. But, uh, but if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's page 804 uh, in, in your pew Bibles. And if you're watching at home... Uh, you can uh, get your Bible out and find the book of Colossians and uh, follow along with me. We're going to be starting in verse 1 in a few minutes, and we're, I forget how many verses we're going to be reading, but you'll, you'll see as I, I, I go through it. But let me just say, I, you know, when you think about Paul, uh, th- think that Paul was primarily a church planter. He wasn't just an evangelist that some people might say, but he was a church planter. And church planters have to be evangelists, you know, to some extent at least, right? They, he desired, his desire was to see local churches planted and established, reproducing Jesus all across the areas that he visited, you know. So, so he would go in, uh, evangelize people, bring them together as a church, and then leave them to do that same thing to their community, right? Paul, uh, hadn't necessarily planted the Colossian church, but it was a direct result of his influence. Um, in Acts 19.10, uh, we see his three years in Ephesus, about 100 miles away, had a direct sort of effect on Colossae, and he had worked um, hard to plant these churches, reaching this Roman province of Asia all around where Colossae was located, and it could be that actually Epaphras planted this church. We're not really sure, but it, he, uh, he at least had a great influence there. We'll see his name pop up later as we start to read. But let me just say that this is why the vineyard uh, is, is categorized as a church planting movement and not a denomination. It's much more of a mission denomination or vi- mission uh, board than it is a denomination. We seek to plant kingdom-minded churches all across the world uh, you know, d- that are devoted to God's glory through God's mission, um, you know, wherever they are, uh, local bodies of Christ ministering the gospel to their local communities, right? And I just got an email this week. I forget uh, how many it was. I should have looked it up, but it, you know, enlisting how many plant, church plants there were in America. And it was, you know, I, I don't know why the, the number 26 or 29 sticks in my head, but 
It could have been more than that. I'm not sure, but but that's they report that because it's you know it, when we go to conferences, they talk about want their their desire and their want to go and plant churches all over the place. So that's our desire too. By the way, we would love to see a church spin off of six eight and be planted in some other way in some other place. You know, not far from here. You know, uh, reaching another crowd. You know. But the the Colossian church, getting back to that, was mainly Gentile in nature, but uh, it had a great influence, a Jewish influence in it. We see that by the festivals and stuff that were practiced there in the in that city. And we also know that Antiochus the Great transplanted about two thousand Jewish families there earlier in history. And and what I like about this letter is that it's so positive. It is just so positive. But Paul is addressing some sort of an infant heresy in uh, in the Colossian church. You know, he is politely and lovingly, in a way, nipping it in the bud. Uh, you know, by preaching clear truth to this young church, and it's a it's a really a good pastoral letter. It's a real caring letter. You know, it may have been the beginnings of Gnosticism, which we'll talk about in a minute, and that fully developed later. Or maybe it was antinomianism, a belief that Christians are released from following the moral law due to being saved by grace through, through Christ, which, you know, we see a lot in Christian circles these days, and it's not true, right? Uh, many Christians today are sort of showing antinomian sort of ideas or thoughts and and practices and that they see no need for repentance from certain sinful attitudes and behaviors especially in the the area of a biblical sex, sexual ethic uh just say it very clearly that's one of the greatest easiest ways to see it um you know i read an article this week and it was talking about uh from the new york times don wood sent it to me and uh it was highlighting how jesus did go to the the lost, the brokenhearted, the downcast, the the outcast, that kind of thing, and and how he really did, you know, kind of reach out and make bridges with the, those kinds of people. But it also stated, and I was glad that he did. About three quarters of the way through the article, he said Jesus was not an antinomian. He was not. He expects and he demands repentance and life change in light of God's moral law. He really does. And he never let anybody off the hook in that, that, sort, of a, that sort of an idea. But, but many people in this day and age in Christian circles are preaching that, and that's, that's just, or, or living that, and that's just not the way the Christian life is lived. Um, but both Gnosticism and antinomianism regarded the physical world as something as strictly evil, right? That, that everything physical was evil, that, that, that people needed some special knowledge, right, to be truly spiritual. And, you know, again, I would say that, that that language of being woke, you know, you've got to have some special knowledge to be morally above everybody else these days. It's just not true. You know, it's, it's, it's just not the way it works. Um, there may have been an element of astronomy practiced here uh, to the, you know, with this errant belief, since many in the ancient world believed that there were sort of rudiment, rudimentary spirits or uh, elemental spirits which had to be controlled by an elite priesthood, you know, who read the stars. But we can see from the letter that there were probably a few issues that they faced, and Paul is addressing. And first of those is that there was a great, in, with some people, there was a strict asceticism. 
right? And a severe sort of self-discipline uh, enacted on, upon themselves in, in avoiding all forms of self-indulgence, which drives people to live by the law or live by rules and to gain, again, some special uh, knowledge. You know, it, you think about, uh, you know, they, they, they talk about the ascetics, these guys that, you know, would go off and live in a cave to get closer to God, or, or they used to even have guys that lived on top of poles. They would sit on a pole. So I think one guy did for 30 years. Steve, do you know about that? Steve probably knows about that. But that, that is not the Christian life. We don't need to do that. The scriptures are written on a third grade level. God has given us everything, including the power of the Holy Spirit, to know Him and to love Him. And actually, the Christian life is the exact opposite. We don't leave community. We go into community because we are called like Chuck said, to go and share the gospel. We, that, that is our Great Commission call, right? So there are thoughts out there that, that are absolutely contrary to the Christian life, but they are subtle in their, in their, in their uh, manipulation of us, and we have to be careful of that. Secondly, there may have been, the, some may have been governed there by this idea that it didn't matter what you did in the body because uh, the body was only evil anyway. So what, what does it matter what you do? So anything's, you know, anything's allowed, stuff like that. So sins of the flesh, uh, you know, weren't recognized in light of what they deemed to be more spiritual sort of matters, uh, much like we see in modern day America right now, right? We see a sort of this Gnostic dualism is is currently, you know, controls our sexual ethic in America, where physical biology, you know, doesn't really matter as a male or a female uh, to us anymore, but it only matters what you feel on the inside. And I'm not, I, you know, I'm not like hammering people that have a struggle with those things. Don't take this wrongly. But it is an idea that is errant, for instance, uh, Ellen Page wants now to be called Elliot Page without a total disregard to her physical makeup. And that is just not... Our, our Christianity is very linked to our biology, our physical world, everything else. We have a God that we just celebrated coming into our world in a physical way. God made in flesh, living among us and, and walking among us. And, and He made that. He made all that stuff. So anyway... I digress. But thirdly, there was a belief that Jesus was just not enough, right? That the gospel was sort of too simplistic, that you had to add something, this, you know, to really know God, some special knowledge that only you could get or only a few could get. And all of these were very dangerous ideologies and very dangerous thoughts eating away at the foundation of the gospel. Not only probably there, but, you know, in, in many, many ways. And we still battle a lot of them today. So you got to understand that we live out of what we know to be true of God. We live out of what we know to be true of God. Now, that's not just for you guys as Christians. That's for everybody on the earth. Even if you're an atheist, you live your life out of what you know to be true of God. In other words, you don't believe there is a God. Therefore, something else governs your life. Maybe that's science. Maybe it's you or maybe it's humanity. Maybe it's your own intellect. Whatever it is, you've made something God in your life and you're living out of it, right? And we make our decisions and we, and we, and we drive. And, and those things are driving decisions in society like crazy. Um, I sat with the head of the pro-life union in uh, Philadelphia recently. He's a good friend. And just those decisions are just abhorrent decisions being made in that area that are driven 
by how people view reality, how people view, you know, really what is what they believe is true about God. And he works hard against that, right? You know, if the physical world was only evil, that would eat away at the humanity of Jesus. And if, if, if the Gnostic belief were true, then Jesus was just some strange spiritual emanation coming from God, and he couldn't really be our physical sacrifice to overcome death and sin. Getting a little philosophic on you, but you've got to think about these things. There was a belief that when he walked around, he left no footprints because his body wasn't even real. You even see that in uh, Islamic theology where, where they say that, you know, it wasn't really Jesus on the cross, but something was made to look like Jesus. If Jesus didn't die on that cross, we're in big trouble, right? And you're all paying me for nothing, <laughs> right? Thanks, right? If Jesus doesn't, doesn't and didn't have power of the root of, over these rudimentary physical things of this world, how can you ever trust him as Lord over all creation? It's very important stuff. And it's very important stuff that I think as I get older, I realize people don't really think about. A couple of us do, but not a lot. And it's important. These, impor- these problems made it important to address these errant beliefs with the Colossian church. And the controversy may not be perfectly clear to us as we read the book, yet we can see that Paul went to great pains to write a lofty view of Christ and His divinity, going all the way back to, to creation, indicating Christ's sovereignty over all things, material and spiritual. And that was of great importance. There's also a great importance on Christ's real humanity. That part of Him that was truly human. And in these two things, this divinity and this humanity, and, and making it clear to us, Paul rescues Jesus as both able to save from physical death and establishes Him as Lord over all things, spiritual and material in this world. And he also rescues the physical world from being purely evil or just wrong and all that kind of stuff, stating that Jesus as God was uh, was directly involved in the creation of the physical world. And we remember as we go back to Genesis and God created the heavens and the earth, what did he say? He said it was good. It wasn't evil. If you're looking at the world it just through sad, ugly eyes, just tired of everything, remember, this is a good place. Paul reassures them in this letter that Christ is their only hope and their only foundation. And I want to remind you of that as well. And in these beginning verses, he moves them to a deeper understanding and experience and knowledge of Jesus and what he's done for them and in them in this world. So we live what we, uh, what we believe to be true of Jesus as God incarnate, God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. That's very important. So the question becomes for us, 
It's the same question we beat here all the time, I think, is that is your relationship and your understanding and your knowledge of Jesus deepening and growing and, and actually as a result of that overflowing, Romans fifteen thirteen, great verse, just overflowing to the people around you. Paul begins, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace and peace to you from God our Father. That's a good opening. <laughs> Paul sees the Colossians here, and you can just recognize it right off the top. He's got an affinity. He sees them as individuals, as, as family and faith, as, as others, that fellow people saved by grace. You know, he uses familial words like brothers and sisters and things like that. There's an intimate communication between apostle, right? One that has sent out this church planter to individual love believers in a local church that are, that are doing the same thing he's done, you know, in their local context. He confesses his own dependence and obedience to Christ as one sent by God's will following Jesus as a model to these people. Viewing himself as one who acts on behalf of Jesus without compartmentalizing his life this is the book i've decided i'm going to write how we compartmentalize and we're not totally given over there's no part of life for paul which doesn't fall under christ's sovereign reign he's a subject of the kingdom right Everything about him and what he expects of others is wrapped up in being a citizen of God's kingdom. He's uncompromising in that way, as he should be. Paul's aware of their sort of situation, their attachment to their their local community, where they're placed, right? These people were brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae with a special call to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus to that local community, to reach out to them, to pour Christ out to them. The message they give, therefore, is very important because they are surrounded by competing ideologies, competing philosophies, as are you right now. And it's all very confusing, isn't it? And it's all very hard and emotionally wrenching. Especially when your own family members or your own friends tend to turn and start to think differently and things the ways that, ways that are very hurtful to them. See, these people were holy... They were called out. They were faithful to live Jesus to this local community that they found themselves in. And Paul prays grace and peace to these people facing all of these philosophical and theological battles in loving others into the kingdom of God. And they, like us and Paul, must also rely on God's grace daily, developing a peace within them which can withstand the arguments and the arrows of life which is what you need to do and I need to do these days. He continues in verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints 
the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, right? All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Some guy had to walk into town and start sharing Jesus with people, right? Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So they needed to remember, as do we, that we see everything in the world, you know, trees or the sunshine or the earth or Jesus, you know, we, we see everything in the world in, in its truest light, when we view it through the, the, the lens of, of a biblical God, what God communicates himself to be, who, who he says he is. Their view of the gospel and its truth are therefore extremely important, not only to them, but to all the surrounding people that they should be bringing into the kingdom. You know, as a little girl, my friend lived way up in the Northeast, and she lived way out in a rural area, and uh, they had to drill a well about 107 feet down until they heard water gurgled in the pipe, and then it shot up and just started flowing out of the top of that pipe, and that was more than 60 years ago that they drilled that well, and it still runs as clean and clear as it did from that first day that they drilled it. They had tapped into this you know, sort of underground river, 107 feet below the surface. And they just constantly got this flowing water. You know, in the Colossians, that reminds me of, of, of us and the Colossians, right? That they had tapped into this well of living water in Christ, right? That, that is, it's springing up in their lives in faith and in love. And it's manifesting itself in words and deeds to other people around them. And Paul was thankful that they had tapped into this source, that it was making a difference. And so he's hearing stories, and he's he's not only of their faith or, or what they believe, but also of their practical loving action, their care of other people. We we live out of what we believe, and these people, like you guys, I think, have shown that the word of truth had rooted itself in their hearts and was coming out in how they lived. And Paul was noticing that in a good pastoral way. The tendency, though, when we hear the word of truth and the word gospel, right, that we relegate it only to that simple gospel message of death and resurrection, you know, of Jesus saving us from sin and death. And that's it. You know, we sort of boil the whole thing down, the whole gospel down, just to John 3.16. And it is definitely that. That God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, right? But we don't regard the greater things of the kingdom as having come yet. That they're out there in the future. That we just get saved and we wait, right? And that's all that's really important to us. So we get saved, we start to go to church, we do the Christian things, we, we build our little kingdoms while we're here, our main important thoughts are our nest egg and all that kind of stuff, our 401k or whatever that thing is that we, we put all our money into. And, and all that just becomes important 
because we're not swallowing and understanding the whole story and the whole purpose of God, what, what God is trying to do in the world. But the Christian life is far more than salvation fire insurance. Paul launches into a picture of Christ as sovereign over all of creation later in chapter 1 and the creator and the sustainer of everything. And Scripture teaches this final restoration of all things, this great hope in the future, but the kingdom has also come now. It's broken into our reality now. You know, we also remember the teachings of Jesus which call for our action now. Who, who push us out the door and into the crowds to, to, to proclaim His message and, and in loving action towards others in issues of justice and issues of mercy and poverty and the, and the environment and things like that, of caring for our world. Furthermore, we've also got to remember those loving judgments of Jesus. Because Jesus is allowed to judge me, by the way. And He's allowed to judge you as well. Those judgments on our lives calling us to purity. You remember we said in past sermons, when God says do, He's saying do that thing that is good for you. And when He says don't, He says don't do that thing that is bad for you. He's not the moral kill, you know, the, the, like the cosmic killjoy in, in the sky. He actually wants more joy and more freedom and more love and more great, you know, He wants you to, you know what? God wants you to enjoy sex. Better than you could ever enjoy sex by watching porn. Sorry, I'm a little uptight today. A little wound up. But it's tiring. (laughs) It is. I, I said to somebody the other day, I said, I think kids don't have that sense of romance anymore. We have polluted their minds so much with all the garbage on TV and in songs and everything else, that man, sex and our whole person, our spirituality, our, our character and everything has all just been separated. It's just a utilitarian thing to make my body feel good. And that's it. Has no real deep significance or meaning anymore. I digress again. <laughs> oh. He wants to release us from the effects of our sinful behavior. The devastating, you know, degradation of it. And He wants us to reflect His holiness now because it's the best thing for us. The kingdom is here now. Already it's broken into our reality. We are the sent ones. We are the called ones. We are here to proclaim and exhibit Jesus to our neighbors. And how we live our lives is actually very important. Paul reminds them that this this good news isn't only growing in them, it's not only just there for them, but it's bearing fruit all over the world. Something great is happening. Lives and societies change when people meet Jesus. When they actually really truly meet Jesus. And if life hasn't changed for you, you've got to start to reevaluate how you're viewing Him. Because what you believe is paramount to fostering a living, a truly living, active relationship with Christ. And the Colossians were changed by the truth of the gospel 
you know, of, uh, you know, and God's grace in their life, which had come via the mouth of this guy, Epaphras. Amen to him. So here's the question. Could this living well of truth bubbling up in you effectively change your life and change all the lives of other people around you and actually change your society and change your world and all the garbage that we see out there that we're all complaining about these days? Could it actually make a difference there? I think it can. Could your loving actions and your grace-filled words, your grace-filled speech be a part of changing you and others for the betterment of God's glory? Because those who pursue Christ are those who produce those who pursue Christ. Those who pursue Christ produce those who pursue Christ. Those who continue to run after Christ in gospel purity and understanding and deeper knowledge, they are the people that stand firm in Christ. Satan wants you to give up. He wants you to get twisted up in all these different crazy thoughts and philosophies out there. He wants you to give up. Don't. Don't give up. Don't ever stop pursuing Christ. We strive, we always strive to be rooted in grace, living it out before our community, realizing the power of of action and speech in Christ and how far it can go, how far it can take the world around us, people around us. I preached a sermon once (laughs) at a a small Baptist church, my, my, my dad's mother's church, my grandmother's church in Farmersville, Texas. Farmersville, Texas, 182 population, 182, I think it said. And uh, a week later, my grandmother called me. She goes, well, thanks a lot. And I said, what's what happened? And she goes, apparently, uh, their pastor immediately quit. Quit that week. And he, 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 and he, and he, as a result of that sermon, and he went out to plant a church in another part of a remote part of texas and left them high and dry it seems god used my words for once in the world right that's what we pastors feel like well he used it you know he did something through it right you know my words to affect some you know boot wearing pickup driving cowboy you know whatever's in texas that i'll probably never meet in this side of heaven probably will never meet them by the way i wear cowboy boots I'm not making fun. I I actually really like them. Uh, And I was born in Texas, so I'm a Texan. Um, But I also continue to trust, you know, that God uses my past actions and words to affect Indonesian Muslims. Since Kim and I were missionaries in in Indonesia for, um, you know, eight, eight and a half years or whatever. People I'll never meet, Right? And who knows how far God will take that message and all that past work. I know people that are there working because I was there working. I hired them. They're still there. They're still seeing fruit. Amen. That makes me feel good, right? The church needs good, faithful servants to bring others the gospel of Christ. That's what we need. God working through us, and Paul sees that in the Colossians. But they have to remember to keep their heart and mind straight as they do it. 
He continues, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with, with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have, have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, on, it, us into the kingdom of, this, of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." You remember that movie, The Green Mile? I, I love that movie. It's a really good movie. A big, burly dude, you know, he's a prisoner. He shouldn't be in there. He's innocent. And, um, and he's got this weird ability, this strange ability to affect people and heal them, right? And so there's one evil guard that, you know, just makes a mess of things all the time. And they, they kind of send that guy off to do something while they take this big guard or this big prisoner out. The good guards take him out of the prison in the middle of the night and they take him to the warden's house because the warden's wife is just riddled with cancer and she's incoherent and she can't think straight and she's swearing and she's, you know, uh, you know, screaming and all this kind of stuff. And this great big man <laughs> takes her and he just sucks the cancer out of her body. It's like, you know, it's Hollywood, right? You could do that in Hollywood. Just like there's like black gnats or something like that coming out of her mouth and going into his and he just swallows it all. And suddenly her color comes back and her smile comes back. And she's sweet. And she reaches up and she kisses him and thanks him. And then they go back to the jail where that other evil guard is there to wait, waiting to make things difficult. I forget exactly what, what happened at that point, but I do remember it ending with him, that big burly guy grabbing that guard because he was so evil and so putrid and his character was just so gross and he breathed that cancer down his throat and you knew that was his death sentence. Mercy and justice, good and evil, light and dark, condemn, condemnation and freedom. All these like dualities revealed in that story. And the Colossians, like us, and you got to really take it this way, is that God had, had asked God for nothing. I didn't set out my life to pursue Jesus. That was the last thought of my mind. I won't tell you what was on my mind. But that was the last thought. God snatched me up. We were all turned away from him. That's Romans, right? We were all hostile to God in word and deed. It, you know, we were all hostile to his kingdom. We didn't understand it. We weren't looking for it. We couldn't have made up this story. And he somehow grabbed us by his grace and he sucked the cancer of sin right out of us. And he took it upon himself. And the whole illustration kind of breaks down at some point, but he does reserve judgment on those who will not turn to him. Got to remember that. And in the end, justice will be done. But even with, with those people that won't turn, he's very patient. That's why it's taken so long. He doesn't want anybody to perish. It's not his heart. But every careless word, every rape, every beating, 
Every false imprisonment, every hateful attitude or murder or, or a husband or a wife who's cheated on their spouse or anything destructive has and will be paid for or punished. That's the hope of the gospel because there is a justice element to the heart of it. And, and the Colossians had taken hold of all of this. They had understood it from Epaphras. They had grown up in it some, but they needed to be on guard. They needed to ripen further. They needed to guard that message in their own hearts. The Christian life is dynamic. It's prayerful. It's devoted more to listening to God than speaking at God. It's devoted to asking for discernment and, and wisdom and power to live all of it out. A life that is shared with others. A life of constant change and growth and deepening in His knowledge, right? A life which really does seek God's wisdom and, and, and these sort of elementary principles of life that He calls us to, and then understanding how to live them out, being led in that. Because God's ways aren't our ways. He's the Creator. We are the creature. We don't know all that we think that we know. And Paul knows that we need continual growth to live these principles of the kingdom out before our community. He prays that people would uh, be bearing fruit in every work, growing in their knowledge, strengthened by God's power for endurance and patience with the endurance to withstand every circumstance. People that are not easily destroyed by every little stress or every little calamity are, are living out of fear all the time. We are a brave and bold and courageous people in Christ. People that have a lot of patience with people. A spiritual stamina with people. The joyful life. I don't know, I don't probably sound very joyful right now. <laughs> but I am joyful in Christ. Even when I'm, 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 in my, I'm in my bad moods, I don't ever lose that. A joyful life rooted deeply in Jesus, springing up in loving action because we've been brought from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You know, it was normal in that day that for a conquering king <clears throat> to take the people of the city that he conquered and bring them back to his city or his land. And the Colossians would have recognized that sort of thought and that terminology. God has conquered, conquered the kingdom of evil in, in what He's done on the cross and in the world, right? He's conquered the kingdom of evil and He is moving them and He's moving others into the kingdom of light. This is, and He says it right there, it is a rescue operation. And that rescue operation means four great things. It means a transference from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom, from condemnation to forgiveness, and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's good news. So we live what we believe to be true of Jesus. We live out of what we believe to be true of Jesus. Let that rest in you. 
Is your relationship with Jesus actually deepening, deepening and maturing and growing? And, and are, are you understanding him more? And, flow, and, and as a result of that, is it overflowing and out to others? Do you really understand what's happened to you? What's been done to you and for you? Does truth of this gospel message drive you to be about Jesus in every single thing that you do? So are you growing closer and more deeply in him, you know, pouring that out on others in practical loving words and actions? Or are you living out of false ideals? The the church, the, the sort of like, you know, that that picture of Jesus when he's like, eh, he's kind of vacuous and like really pretty. Ah, the 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 you know the the made up version of Jesus, who's just so loving and fun and soft and fuzzy. Ugh, Get rid of that. Are you destroyed because that false Jesus? If you're believing in that, that's the false Jesus that will let you be destroyed by every little stress and calamity. He gives you no backbone. Are you holding on to religiosity? Or are you really grasping hold of the really blood and guts Jesus that overcomes death and evil in the world? Because it would be a sad thing for us to have to say at the end of the day, like Philip Yancey once said, that Christianity kept us from Christ. Right? It would be sad to say that. Father God, we thank You that You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We don't say that lightly. We know that it means something. And I truly believe in... I'm anxious, I, I would use that word maybe, or, or anticipatory of what you're doing in our community and in this country and in this world through this COVID thing. What are you doing? How are you bringing people to light? How are you rescuing people? And how can we as a church, a local body of Christ, in our own Colossa, how are we able to participate in that in great ways? Father, that takes bravery, that takes power, that takes your wisdom, your love, your discernment, that takes your courage. That takes people willing to go to the cross just like you did. So we ask that you would inject that into us, Father God. That you would make us kingdom-minded people at every turn and no matter what the cost. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's all you, baby. Can't say that.